listening to the doctrinal cassette series of the Church of God Seventh Day, produced by the Media Outreach Agency. This doctrinal tape study is entitled A Profile on the Sabbath, and our speaker is Elder Ray Straub. For most Christians, Sunday is their Sabbath, their day of worship. They call this first day of the week the Lord's Day. Others observe the seventh day of the week as their Sabbath. They feel that the Ten Commandments, including the fourth, still retain claims on their lifestyle. The fourth commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Others consider the seventh day Sabbath to be a Jewish Sabbath, an observance for Jews only. Since a very large majority of Christians consider Sunday to be the proper day of worship, few question whether it is really biblical. They conclude that this tradition is correct, and those who question it have no valid reason to do so. It is suggested that those who worship the seventh day of the week are bound to an old law. They are trying to earn their salvation by law-keeping. Such practice, they claim, does not belong to the Christian era. Reference is made to the fact that Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week. The early church met on the first day, that the Holy Spirit descended on Sunday, and that the prophet John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, which they interpret to be Sunday. On the surface, it may seem reasonable to dismiss the possibility that the Bible upholds observance of the seventh day of the week as the weekly Sabbath for worship and rest. Such a conclusion may appear to be warranted, but it would be profitable to see whether it really is. Those who scratch beneath the surface may find evidence to question whether the observance of the first day of the week is really biblical. Is it correct to conclude that the seventh day of the week is the Jewish Sabbath? Is it for Jews only? It will not be difficult to follow the history of Sabbath observance through the Bible. Such a study will give us information which will help us determine whether the will of God would lead us to observing the first day of the week or the seventh day as our Sabbath. Our study begins at the beginning. Genesis 1 describes the creation of the earth in six days. I read from Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. It is important that we understand both the content of this passage and where it is found. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Sanctify in this context means the same as consecrate. The seventh day was set apart for religious or holy use by God at creation. The seventh day of the week is blessed and sanctified by God. He did it when he created the universe. His reason for doing so is because he rested on that day from his creative work. He made it a day of rest. Is the seventh-day Sabbath Jewish? Since it was set aside at creation, 
It would be Jewish only if all else that was created then is Jewish. Let's remember in our continuing study of the Sabbath that it was set aside for worship and rest at creation. It was then that God established both the nature and the purpose of the seventh day of the week. The second direct reference to the seventh day is found in Exodus 16. About 45 days after Israel's exodus from the land of Egypt, they ran short on food. God promised that bread would fall from heaven. The Israelites were to gather only the amount needed for one day. However, on the sixth day of the week, they were instructed to gather enough for two days, the sixth and the seventh days, because no manna would fall on the Sabbath. It turned out that those who failed to obey God's instructions went out to get their allotment on the seventh day and found none. Interestingly, the manna would not last overnight on weekdays. That which was left over would be spoiled by morning. However, what was gathered on the sixth day remained edible on the seventh. God's insistence on seventh-day Sabbath observance here is clearly demonstrated. It happened before the Ten Commandments were issued to Moses on Mount Sinai. Exodus 20, 8-11 states the fourth of the Ten Commandments. These were written by God on two tables of stone and presented to the Israelites. This fourth commandment has two unique and outstanding features. It is the only commandment which begins with the word remember. Ironically, it is the one command that most of Christianity does not remember. We are constantly and wisely reminded to be mindful of all others, to give God priority, to honor his name, to honor our parents, to respect our neighbor's life, wife, possessions, and reputation. But we are encouraged to forget what God commands us to remember, to keep the seventh day holy. Secondly, it is the only commandment which refers to God's creative power. It reminds us that God created for six days and rested on the seventh. This is why he blessed and made the seventh day holy at creation. This is the one commandment which honors God's creative power. The command states that no member of the household, no servant, no animal, and no stranger should be working within our gates on the Sabbath. Stranger here would refer to an alien or Gentile. This suggests that Sabbath-keeping was meant to be all-inclusive. We turn now to some writings by Isaiah on this matter of remembering God's holy Sabbath. In Isaiah 56, 1 and 2, God pronounces a generous benediction on those who are concerned about righteousness. Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. This passage describes favor from God derived from Sabbath-keeping along with adopting other virtues. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14 list benefits resulting specifically 
from honoring God's holy day. For improved clarity, I read from the New International Version. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. This passage reflects the good feelings God had toward those who honored his holy day, those who remembered it. The nations of Israel were taken captive by Assyria and Babylon. After their release, there was substantial rebuilding. Much construction took place in Jerusalem, and a wall was built to surround the city. In addition to the physical restructuring, there was need to restore their religious practices. Among these was the reassertion of the sanctity of the Sabbath. Earlier, a lot of trading was done on the Sabbath, as well as other days of the week in Jerusalem. Merchants brought in fruit, they pressed wine, and engaged in other enterprise. Nehemiah asked, Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Nehemiah 13.18 The command was given to shut the city gates on the seventh day, keeping the merchants out. When this happened, the merchants and sellers began collecting outside the gate, waiting for them to open after the Sabbath. This too bothered Nehemiah, presumably because of the distraction caused by this waiting. And he ordered that the businessmen stay out of sight during the Sabbath. This passage again affirms the sanctity of the Sabbath. It expressed the need for God's people to observe it, and it informs us that involvements in commerce are not an appropriate part of Sabbath observance. Nehemiah sensed that no buying or selling should take place on God's holy day. This will conclude the evidence concerning Sabbath-keeping, which I will cite from the Old Testament. I recognize that there is no argument that the seventh day was observed as Sabbath in the Old Testament. I reviewed this information because it is important that some principles about Sabbath-keeping from the former Testament be kept in mind as we proceed with this study. It must be kept in mind, then, that the Sabbath was instituted at creation long before any Jewish nation was formed. When the Ten Commandments were given, the fourth began by saying, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It honors God's creative power. Isaiah pronounced benefits upon those who regarded the seventh day to be God's holy day, and this attitude toward the seventh day was restored when Jerusalem was rebuilt following Israel's captivity. There can be little question that the observance of the Sabbath was a meaningful part of Israelites' devotion to the Heavenly Father. Let's progress to the New Testament. And here we will attempt to determine attitudes toward Sabbath-keeping in these writings. Looking at the life of Jesus, we see a variety of experiences he had in regard to the Sabbath. 
Luke 4, 16 and forward, states that Jesus was accustomed to attending the synagogue on Sabbath. The incident recorded here tells of his reading from the book of Isaiah concerning his ministry. We are assured that Jesus observed his family's tradition of Sabbath observance. This discipline was consistent with his announcement that he came to fulfill the law. Think not, he advised, that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. It has been concluded by many that when Jesus died for the sins of mankind, he ended the law by fulfilling it. Such a belief contrasts directly with Jesus' own words in the passage I just read. Note that two times Jesus clarified the fact that he did not come to destroy the law. Whatever fulfill means, it does not mean destroy the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He did not destroy it. This concludes side one of our study, A Profile on the Sabbath. This study will continue on side two. Matthew 12, verse 1 and forward, describes an incident when Jesus' disciples walked through a field of corn on the Sabbath, they picked some to eat. The Pharisees reminded Jesus that such acts were not in keeping with lawful observance of the Sabbath day. What was Jesus' response? Did he infer that he had progressed from the observance of Sabbath to keeping every day holy? Did he express disregard for the sanctity of the Sabbath? The issue was whether or not the action by the disciples was lawful on the Sabbath. Please note that Jesus defended the disciples' action as being within the confines of acceptable law observance. He reminded them that David ate showbread that was meant only for the priests. He noted that priests engage in activities on Sabbath that might be considered inappropriate for others to perform on that holy day. The point was that the one greater, verse 6, in the temple could accept deviations if they were warranted, overriding needs that might dictate appropriate behavior. Following the incident involving eating the corn, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, again transgressing a regulation safeguarding what to the Pharisees was adequate Sabbath observance. Jesus answered criticism by pointing out that an animal may be drawn from a pit to save it. If that kind of care can be given to four-legged creatures in distress, why can compassion not be shown to a person on the Sabbath? Jesus concluded, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath days. Matthew 12, 12. 
It is essential that I point out that Jesus never offered any kind of acknowledgement. He never admitted that he compromised the sanctity of the Sabbath. His contention was that he was within the tolerance of what the law observance allowed. While we are examining passages from Matthew 12, I wish to make an important observation in passing. It is considered by many that the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, honors the day on which Jesus resurrected. Matthew 12:39 and 40 gives the sign of Jesus' Messiahship. Quoting Jesus, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If Jesus was laid in the tomb at sundown on Friday, and if he resurrected early Sunday morning, this sign of his Messiahship failed. There are no three days and three nights between Friday evening and Sunday morning. You will not read any account of Jesus' resurrection in the Bible. It reports only visits to an empty tomb which Jesus had already exited. It is probable that Jesus did not resurrect the first day of the week. However, that is another study which we cannot take up now. The final part of this study on the seventh-day Sabbath takes us to the book of Acts. It is here that we have a history of the early church. Is it true, as is commonly stated, that the early church worshipped on the first day of the week? The evidence we read deserves careful examination. It will be interesting to begin by considering the possibility that the first day of the week was when the early church met for weekly worship. The first reference used to indicate such has to do with the day of Pentecost. It is said that the Holy Spirit came in its fullness on that day, empowering the new church to offer effective witness. This assertion is correct. Evidence indicates that it was the first day of the week when the Holy Spirit of God descended on the believers in the upper room, filling them with power. However, this information does nothing to establish that day of the week as a day of worship. In Old Testament times, Pentecost the feast which celebrated the early harvest was an annual observance that was always held on the first day of the week. It was held 50 days after the weekly Sabbath during the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread. The coming of the Holy Spirit in power was fulfillment of what the Feast of Pentecost predicted. Type met anti-type. The coming of God's Spirit resulted in the harvest of many who were seeking reconciliation with God. The coming of the Holy Spirit on what is presently called Sunday had more to do with Old Covenant regulations than it did with the establishment of a new day for weekly worship. The second reference used to demonstrate that the first day of the week was designated for weekly worship is found in Acts 20, 7-12. Here it reports that Paul and his disciples got together to break bread, after which he preached until midnight. He and his companions continued their travels the following day. This passage does not present a clear-cut case 
for observance of the first day of the week as the day of worship for Christians. Bear in mind that during Paul's time, a day began at sunset and ended the following sunset. Noting that they gathered on the first day of the week in the evening, since Paul preached until midnight, it challenges one to figure just which evening this meeting took place, Saturday night or Sunday night. Give it some thought. Try to analyze the time element involved here. A third practice used to sustain the supposedly biblical practice of Sunday worship is 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. It reads, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. These obviously are instructions regarding the time that donations for the poverty-stricken believers in Jerusalem should be ready for pickup. The Greek indicates that this was done routinely. Is there indication of a worship service here? Not really. In contrast, we will review passages in Acts which indicate that worship was done on the seventh-day Sabbath. We turn to Acts 13. Verses 14 and 15 reveal that Paul and his friends entered a synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia. There they read from the Scriptures and preached the Gospel. Following the service, the Jews left. But the Gentiles, who apparently remained, asked Paul to preach again the next Sabbath. Verses 44 and forward report that on the following Sabbath, nearly the whole city turned out to hear the Word of God. Here are two Sabbaths where worship took place. It may be acknowledged that Paul took advantage of the Jews' custom in order to get an audience. Even if this were true, why would the Gentiles worship on the following Sabbath? This would have presented excellent opportunity to demonstrate the change of worship from the seventh to the first day of the week. Acts 16.13 speaks of a service by a riverside where some women gathered to pray. By itself, this verse would hardly establish a pattern. However, may I point out that its message for seventh-day observance by itself is equally as strong and positive as any verse regarded as evidence for first-day observance. Acts 17 speaks of Paul's work in Thessalonica. Note the wording of verse 2. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Chapter 18 tells of his ministry in Corinth. Verse 4 reveals, And he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. The evidence is overwhelming. Where can one find nearly the amount of evidence to observe the first day of the week for worship that is found in remembering to keep God's seventh day holy? The expression, the Lord's day, is found in only one verse in the Bible, that being Revelation 1.10. John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, 
and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. The setting in which this verse appears gives no indication that any special day of the week is referred to. There is no biblical support for identifying Sunday as the Lord's Day. The Sabbath is a product of creation, just like we are. Observing the Sabbath is honoring the Creator. Biblical evidence reveals that Sabbath observance has always been practiced by God's people. Benefits have been returned to those who have remembered God's command to retain the sanctity of the day He made holy. Jesus observed the day, and the gospel was preached in worship on the seventh-day Sabbath. The Sabbath is for Jews, and for Christians, and for all who seek to obey God. concludes our doctrinal study entitled, A Profile on the Sabbath. The doctrinal cassette series of The Church of God Seventh Day is a presentation of the Media Outreach Agency.